Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode six of Act Old Podcast with me, Joshua Strysky. And me, Paul Dennett. Hello, mate. How you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, not bad. Long time no see. I know. It, it feels like it's been a while, and I think so much has gone on within that time frame in the sporting world that I feel that we've got absolutely loads of stuff to talk about. We have got loads to talk about. Loads. So what have you been up to? Well, obviously, I went to the Helvellyn uh, Triathlon on the weekend just gone. A fantastic event put on by... Uh, try hard events um, obviously I was very lucky that there was a fantastic pro field and also our good friend Ed Green uh, was racing um, so yeah overall it was, a, it was a really great weekend. Yeah we're going to chat to Ed in a bit uh, as um, get an age perspective on the race. Um, talking of uh, the, the pros Ali Brownling was there we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago would we take into the Olympics if we were part of the uh, select committee um, he only went and did two triathlons in, in two days. He did the Hamburg um, triathlon. I think he came ninth in Hamburg and then yeah, flew straight over. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And then did Helvellyn. So on that, would you take him now to the Olympics? Oh, well, I think, you know, what, what an athlete and what a guy. I mean, I was lucky enough to actually um, chat to him at the finish and stuff and... Yeah, real nice, humble, down-to-earth guy. And I think kind of what really stood out for me was that, obviously, you know, there were some other great athletes in the field. Uh, you had, like, Joe Skipper, George Goodwin, Jack Willis. And, um, you know, I think they were almost in awe of what he achieved on that day. So he, he broke the course record, his own course record. So he came in at a time of three hours and 51 minutes. Wow. Um, and, and yeah, I think, you know, the, the big thing that stood out for me was in the interview after they were doing uh, with George, who finished second, um, it was just a case of that George had done fantastically well. So we, we seen Ali come out of um, come out of the swim. Um, and obviously it was, it was hard to know exactly the time difference because it was a staggered start. So obviously... Um, Alistair's come out first so you're then thinking right okay so you know how long until the next person comes out and that was probably a good a good few minutes um so you you know at that time we didn't know whether Alistair set off first or he set off after them so you know the time difference would be even bigger um however then they've gone onto the bike course uh so me and Carl good friend who was uh who came up to watch with me uh we then uh rode our bikes up to the top of Kirkstone Pass, also known as the Struggle, um, to see the the pro field. Um, How was that experience for you? Because I've heard the struggle is a struggle. At some points, it's like a twenty five percent gradient over like three miles or something stupid like that. Is it crazy? Is it a crazy ascent? Yeah. Do you know what? I, I we, me and Kyle discussed this in great detail. I, I think the real difficult thing about it is it's like relentless. So, you, you, you know, on some hills or whatever else, you, you have like little gaps and little breaks, don't you, almost where it kind of like levels out or whatever else. Gives you a little bit of a rest for just, a couple of seconds. Yeah, I think. And, and the first bit, it just catches you off guard so much because you go through you go through a little 
contain like Ambleside and then depending on what way you're coming from it you you hit like a mini roundabout and you either go right or obviously you turn left depending on what where you're coming from and you, you're straight you're straight into a hill and for, for me and Carl we, we parked the car probably 100 yards up the road from there um, obviously got the bikes out got set up said right yeah it's along here and then we go right keep going and you know we'll we're, we're pick, we're pick it up kind of thing and before you know it we cycled 100 yards along a flat road for a little town turn right and it's like boom, there, there it is like the first bit of like climbing you know and that really caught us off guard and the weather wasn't great at all. Um, it was raining for a lot of the weekend. Uh, obviously, temperature, you're up north. It's a lot colder than it is down here in the south. And yeah, it was just, it was, it was a tough, tough day at the office, really. And we only done the, the pass and then dropped down the other side um, to where, obviously, the start start line and stuff was. So yeah, for those athletes, you know, it was a, it was a tough day at the office, not to mention then, obviously, the run up Helvell in itself, which... Um, is even more climbing, um, one of the highest like peaks within the within the Lake District. So talking, just talking about uh, the biking yeah, fantastic stuff. Fantastic race. Talking about the biking stuff. Are you um, are you into? Do you stand as you cycle up a hill, or are you a stay seated kind of cyclist? There's lots of different um, people that think there's different ways of conquering a hill on a bike. You say if you watch the Tour de France, you get the guys that are basically stood up and throwing the bike around, or you get the other guys that are literally sat there and the upper body's totally still and it's just the legs pumping. What's your style going up a hill? Do you know what, actually? That's a really interesting question because, funnily enough, me and Cole went out on a ride. Was it last week or the week before? Anyway, obviously, as you'll know, there's a, a quite a, a relatively famous hill in and around, like not far from where we live, Horton Hill. And I know it's a little segment that, we've created within our within our group of friends of like you know the times in which we've all kind of gone up it and stuff like that and ed posted in our group if you remember um either last week or the week before with a screenshot of the times and it showed me and carl were first and second on the leaderboard um from that day yeah um and, and what had actually happened is me and carl had gone on a ride and we both said to each other we said oh well, actually, it was more Carl sent it to me. I don't want to take credit. He said, let's do a seated effort. So, yeah. said, so no standing. Let's just really try to get the quads firing and the glutes and everything else and just see see how we get on. And um, we actually beat our previous times of going up there, which was more of an aggressive stand-up, you know, swaying side to side, really yeah, yeah, giving yeah. it really giving it beans, which I felt I find really interesting because when I think back to when I – put that effort in to go up it I thought to myself that I was working a lot harder then than I was when I'd done the seated effort yeah last week but yeah actually last week my time was quicker than the time I stood up and really attacked it so no I know it was a slightly um, different situation because it was race day with the pros at Helvellyn but did you were they seated or were they up because I know quite a few of them had their tri bike um TT bikes didn't they yeah, no. So a, a lot of them were seated throughout. Throughout the the, the right little kick in the tail, just as it it pops up um, near where Kirkstone um, in the pub is, which is where like the the main road kind of rejoins. Um, a couple of them like slightly stood up and had a little 
you know, had a, little, had a little go. But yeah, they, they weren't really, really attacking it. And I think that's because obviously they were dropping down a hill the other side, almost pretty much back into transition. And then obviously going out on the run, which was like, you know, a, a massive climb in itself anyway. So, um, yeah, so no, but like, you know, I think, um, who do I see go up there? I've seen, you know, Nikki Bartlett, who won the female pros. Um, obviously, Alex She had a stonking day, didn't she? Oh, amazing. Yeah, she come in at three hours. I think Alistair come in at three hours 16. Nikki came in at about three hours 51. Um, and that was a time that beat the women's pro record by 12 minutes on that wow. course. Because yeah, um, with the PTO getting involved as well, the, pro- the professional triathlon organization, um, they did this special um, prize pot, didn't they, for men's and ladies. Uh, Torsten yeah. Rad of tryrating.com uh, had worked out the difference between the pro men and women and kind of put in like a handicap uh, time. So I think it was a 28 minute and three second deficit was taken off the ladies' time. Uh, and then the overall winner uh by well it didn't matter if you're a male or female took an extra prize pot away from it so it was a a really good race yeah that's correct yeah so they did do the the time difference and stuff so they wanted to make it a gender neutral race so that's obviously still you gender had neutral the, yeah <laughs> so obviously you had the stick you still had the overall sort of like male first second third and same with female but then you had like the the overall as well um, and obviously there was a there was a time different handy handicap of 28 minutes. I, I mean, it, it made it quite hard on the day because you didn't actually know where everyone was in theory. So I think actually, like when the results came out, as an example, I think George Goodwin who came um, second, and then Jack Willis who ended up third. There was only actually a two second difference wow. in their time. <laughs> Yeah, but actually, as you've seen them come over the line, it wasn't like it wasn't a sprint finish between those two because you obviously had the difference in times they set off in the swim and then everything else. So you you, you couldn't tell because it wasn't a mass start. You couldn't actually tell who was in the lead. That is the issue with all the staggered starts and stuff. And I know Ironman are trying to bring them into lots of their races. You, if you knew you knew you were only a couple of seconds behind how much more effort you'd put in to try and beat that person. It's, it does add a different element to the, to the, the, um, the race as well. So your experience yeah, is it, a... Carry on. Oh, no, I was going to say, and obviously, don't, don't get me wrong. Like, I mean, in, within the pro field, so I think there was, what, uh, 19... I want to say 19, about 19 professionals who took part. Obviously, you would, you would know because... Ultimately, if you've seen Alistair go off five seconds ahead of you, as an example, and then you were the next in the water, um, you would obviously know how far ahead he was. And obviously, you know, he's always going to be in and around the podium places. But I think, yeah, it, it, it makes it hard more from a spectator point of view as to who's where. And because obviously we, you know, we didn't see or wasn't close enough to the swim start to see who went in the water first. I was more on the exit where obviously I've seen Alistair come out first. But if you said to me, oh, did Alistair start off ahead of the other guys? I wouldn't have been able to tell you. So it then makes it more difficult from a spectator point of view rather than a race racer point of view, like a participant. So after the, the race, you met some of the pros, all nice guys and girls, good to chat to. Yeah. Do you, do you know what? It's, 
the, probably one of the greatest things I love about triathlon. I think everyone that I've met within the sport and, you know, I, I on the weekend, I, you know, had a good chat with um, Joe Skipper, um, you know, um, had a, had a brief conversation with Nikki Bartler and then we were messaging over Instagram um, after the race. And you, you also had Alistair Brangley. They're so down to earth, humble people, you know, like Alistair Brangley as an example was probably Britain's greatest ever or most decorated triathlete you know, two times Olympic gold medalist. And, you know, the fact that he's come from Hamburg to, to race in like an, a, a local event. Okay, you can say PTO are involved, he's an ambassador of that and he's on the board and stuff. But, you know, just still to take the time after to, you know, to speak to spectators and, you know, um, do an interview. And, you know, I think, yeah, it was just really refreshing and, and nice to see. There was no... I'm, I'm sure don't get me wrong obviously they're, they're great athletes and stuff and they probably within their inner circle of a bit of an ego or whatever else but you know in terms of taking the time to you know speak to us and you know just have a, have a general conversation yeah they, they were more than willing and obviously it was great to um, you know kind of almost pick their brains in terms of like you know um, ultimate tips and you know how they find the race and everything else really so Oh, wicked. I reckon this is a good, good time to slot Ed Green's uh, interview in. So if we go over to that now. Um, so ladies and gents, here's Ed Green. So ladies and gentlemen, we're pleased to uh, welcome Ed Green to the podcast today. So Ed has recently taken part in Helvellyn uh, Triathlon, which is known as one of the toughest triathlons uh, in the UK. Um, so we've got obviously. Uh, lots it, of sorry, Josh, just to butt in, uh, in the world apparently, not in just in, in the, the world. UK. Oh, there yeah. we go, in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's what they're saying on their website, so uh, it must be true. <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah, I've underplayed it there. In the <laughs> world, yeah, okay. when you're in the uh, 50 to 54 age group, uh, Josh, it is quite hard. I suppose it would be the artist in the world. Well, I'm not going to drop the C bomb. How you doing, Ed? Uh, yeah. You're all right. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm, I'm still struggling a little bit, actually. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll go into that, I guess, in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, all well, all well. So we really want to just talk to you um, as an age grouper going into the event, because it was a bit of a late call for you actually um, entering. Um, you were supposed to do the Outlaw Fall this year, and with everything that got cancelled, uh, decided to jump in and do this. So just running through the process with you, did you turn up, because um, tell the listeners where uh, the Hellvelin is up in Cumbria? Yeah, so it's uh, it's not far away from Ambleside, um, and is uh, it starts at the the base of Oldswater. Um, so it's um, yeah, bang in the middle of a lake district. Beautiful. And went up on the Saturday, ready to race on the Sunday. Yeah, so we, we drove up on the uh, Saturday morning. Um, it's about a four four and a half hour drive. Um, so the, the family were well chuffed with that. Um, so uh, it was a bit, it was a bit, it, was, it wasn't too bad actually. Uh, in the end, the traffic was okay. Uh, so rocked up at um, uh, the venue uh, at about uh, lunchtime, something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just a, a case of grabbing a coffee, a bite to eat, uh, and then the uh, um, registration kicked off at about three o'clock. So were they doing race briefings on that Saturday ready for the Sunday? Was there lots of mentions of the COVID guidelines and restrictions and all that sort of stuff? There was no race briefing. Everything was done online. 
Right. Um, so there's a video released uh, about a week before the event. Uh, so you can just log in and it's a race director just giving a kind of quarter of an hour race briefing, all the things to be aware of on the uh, uh, swim, cycle and run. Uh, so it's all done in advance uh, and basically saying that uh, there's a three hour window to, to register on a Saturday. Um, and it's just a case of queuing up um, and keeping your distance and, and, and you know, rolling in basically did you get chance to have a look at any of the course i know josh and our friend carl went up the day before as well because they were going up to to watch you and josh you did the struggle didn't you on the saturday yeah we we've done a little recce me and uh, me and carl um yeah so obviously we'll come on to that in a bit more detail in a minute because we know that ed loves a hill so it'd be really interesting <laughs> to get his, uh, his take on how he found the struggle but um yeah i would say definitely a testing course but um yeah, I don't obviously want to take anything away from Ed, so we'll let him continue with uh, how yeah, he found well, it. Well, uh, yeah, I hadn't didn't do a recce. The only recce we did was was the drive in, um, uh, where we drove to the top of the Kirkstone Pass, but not via the struggle, which is a, a part of a cycle route. Um, but you can tell even from that drive in, it was it was pretty high. <laughs> uh, but there was a nice descent down uh, down to Glendinning, which is the uh, which was the start, um, and it was. Um, yeah, it, it, it was wet when we arrived there. Absolutely bucketed down in registration, but the uh, the forecast for the Sunday was actually dry. Um, so I was, I was hoping it would uh, stay to that, but clearly I was uh, disillusioned <laughs> with that in the end. But um, it was a wet weekend. <laughs> it was a it was a shockingly wet weekend. Um, but but there we go. Um, we had um, Brett uh, Halliwell on last uh, week chatting about his um, pre-race meal the night before. What was yours on the uh, Saturday? Was it a, a good carb load of pizza and stuff, or did you just take it nice and easy and have a glass of red wine? Uh, I think that was more on the Friday night. It was more relaxed like that. On the Saturday night, I went to a local pub um, and uh, I had a lasagna and uh, orange juice and lemonade. And uh, um, Kept it I don't sensible. know. I, yeah, yeah. Although lasagna was mainly cheese rather than anything else, but um, it, it kind of did did the job. I, I I never get that hungry before these events, and in actually the the breakfast beforehand, I could barely eat. Um, so I didn't I didn't really stack in loads of carbs beforehand. Um, I tend to survive these events on adrenaline rather than anything else. Um, so uh, yeah, nerves so get to me. On the Sunday, um, what time was your off? What time did the gun go for you guys in the age group? section um the um well we, we had to wait it, it, it's a, a, an interesting setup um and i don't know if you want me to cover the whole pto changes to the event and the timings um yeah if you to, do, yeah just briefly if you can say how yeah. it affected you guys as age groupers um so the pto got involved in the race uh with ali brownlee's intervention um and they put some some prize money in but they they also changed the format of the race um, to allow the pro field uh, to get involved, but also to provide some kind of parity between the pro men and the pro women. Oh, uh, yeah, we, um, we've covered that, about the 28-minute... Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so we so make a bit so of a the, uh, race between the genders. So, so what happened, basically, the, the pro women went off first, pro men went off 28 minutes later, or whatever it was. Uh, we had to wait for the pro men uh, to do one lap. It was... Um, Normally, it's, it's one, uh, one mile lap of a lake, um, but because of, of COVID and people perhaps not being able to get their, their swimming uh, training in, they decided to turn it into two laps and a, an Aussie exit. Right. Uh, so, so we had to wait for the pro men to do their, uh, 
um, first lap before they'd allow the age groupers to go in. So we didn't really start. Um, the, the pros started about 8.30. Um, I don't think I got in the water till about quarter past nine. Um, and then it was basically queuing up in number order uh, and going in at five second intervals. How cold was the water? Well, I, I did a little dip before um, the start just to get a feel for it. Um, and I went in there and went up to my waist in a wetsuit. I thought I'd dip my head underwater and see what it was like. And it didn't feel too bad. Uh, I was told it was 13 degrees, but it didn't feel too bad. But when I actually went in for the swim, I was bloody freezing. <laughs> <laughs> Were they um, allowing like neoprene um, hats and socks and stuff like that for athletes or was it just wetsuit and that was that? Well, I didn't see any neoprene socks, but I saw a number of neoprene hats um, right. underneath the uh, kind of race hats. Um, I didn't, I didn't go for that. Um, I don't know how much difference it would have made because it's, it's my face that was freezing rather than anything yeah. else. Um, it's normally my so, forehead. When we get into the quarry, when it's the early doors in the season, get proper brain freeze like you've got ice cream, uh, ice cream forehead going on. Yeah, no, I had a bit of that, and that, that sent me into a bit of a bit of a panic in the first hundred meters or so. Um, but once I calmed down, it was all right. So you didn't condom because I know they were um, thinking allowing people that had struggled with swim during COVID restrictions to just do one lap, get out, and then get on the bike and still register a time. Yeah, didn't go through your head at any point. Went jump straight back no. into the second lap. Yeah, yeah, you know, and actually, once I'd done about two hundred meters, I was I was on it then, um, so it was fine. Um, I, I don't like getting out and going back in again, um, but you know, it's one of those things. It was also really rocky, so there are big rocks and little rocks. Um, getting out and getting back in again, and uh, even though my feet were numb, I did bash my <laughs> my my toe quite a bit um, on that, and I you know you could see the pros struggling to get out um, as well. So it was uh, made it slightly more technical um, for the swim. But so other, other than that, when fun. you got on the bike, full kit change to warm up, or literally just chuck some warm clothes on top of a tricycle. I, I, I had everything in my uh, my transition bag. I had uh, a cycle jersey. I, I didn't have a uh, coat though, Josh. Um, but... <laughs> Josh, do you want to explain where uh, Ed's coat is? Well, yeah, <laughs> in the bottom of my wardrobe somewhere, I believe. Yeah, oh. but, but, but I, you, I, I you noticed want... you're on your recce ride. Uh, I noticed you're actually wearing it. So when I, you know, I completely forgot to grab it off you uh, in uh, at the, when I saw you on a Saturday. So anyway, I, I I did have a coat, but I I was faffing around in transition, and it it wasn't raining at that point. I was fast on it, and I just went out of my dry suit. I, I didn't have any any kind of covering at all, just straight out of my dry suit. And I thought I'm, I'm bound to dry off it's going to dry up it'll be fine um but clearly i was wrong so yeah do you know what actually you could have had that back but as you mentioned the weather was absolutely horrendous <laughs> <laughs> so i wasn't giving that up for love so why josh was <laughs> hanging around with the pros at the finish sport in your jacket you were still out in the cold yeah 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 so did the bike start off hilly straight away were there any nice flat bits to get into a bit of a, a, a flow and get your rhythm and stuff or was it straight into hills uh, well, there's about 100 metres of flat um, before getting into the first hill. So uh, there's a little bit of time to, uh, to get your bearings, but, you know, about 20 seconds maybe, and that was it. <laughs> so, right. um, yeah, it was it. I mean, to be honest, I wanted a hill to warm up. Uh, yeah. I still couldn't feel my feet. My feet were completely numb. Um, so it was just trying to, trying to warm up a bit. Um, uh, and I don't think I warmed up at all on that ride. So distance on the bike, what was the bike leg? How long? 
Uh, it was about 60k, so 38 miles. Right. Um, and so, at what point did the struggle come into play? How far into the ride was that? Uh, I think about 30. Right, um, okay. So there's a final bit, and uh, we'd, we'd probably done around about 1,500 feet of climbing before we hit the struggle. Um, so there'd been a bit of climbing already, um, but yeah, it's, you know, um, it's roll, It's a rolling course. There were a few flat bits. I had Umdenard before the event about whether to use a, a TT bike or not. Right. Um, but I did think because of a, the nature of the hills and the, the slightly technical course and stuff like that, but I'd go for a road bike and I, I'd say, I mean, Josh might know this better than me, but most people were on road bikes there rather than TT. It's only the pros on TTs, really. Josh, did you take your TT or did you take your road bike for the weekend? Yeah, I took my road uh, my road bike, yeah. Um, I think me and, uh, obviously, you mentioned our good friend Carl. Um, we both obviously came up to watch Ed and um, just to see, you know, well, I think one of the only events of the year going on. Um, and, yeah, we, we found it quite interesting, actually, because as, as we obviously done the recce and went up the struggle, we did both look at each other and say, depending on what the rest of the course is like, we wouldn't necessarily want to be on a TT bike. But interestingly, when I got to speak to like Joe Skipper once he'd finished on the um, afterwards, he, he said that actually he'd done a recce the same time as us the day before and he opted for a TT but just scaled right down um, in terms of like group set. So he had like a real low low gear setting to be able to obviously tackle the the struggle and stuff and the hills on the course. Ed, do you want to just explain to the listeners um, what the struggle entails? It's uh, how long is the actual hill? How long does it go on for? Um, I think it's, um, it's either 4K or four miles. Um, I can't mem- remember which, um, but it's 1,500 feet of ascent over that, over that distance. Right. So it averages um, between 8 and 9%. Um, uh, but There's a bit it goes of a kicker up, though, isn't there at some point, I've heard? Yeah, it, it goes up to around 25% uh, <laughs> at a few points. And, and actually, when you, it goes from Ambleside up to the, the, the top. And uh, as soon as you come off a roundabout at Ambleside, you just mm-hmm. go straight up a 20% incline. Um, and it, I, I was amazed that uh, within the first 100 metres, I saw someone walking with their bike. Um, and it, it just, you know, people must expect, you know, they, they do anticipate there's going to be hills in this course, yeah. but to be on, you know, to be walking that early on in that climb, um, I, I'm guessing it must've been a mechanical, but, but, um, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a tough call. Um, but yeah, I will, was, I will was say in, I, w- I will say in their, in their defense, that is a cheeky, like little kind of through the time and you, you hook a left and it's sort of like, it catches you by surprise because, when me and Carl done the, the recce, we parked about 100 yards up the road in Ambleside. And um, we were still, I was still looking on Google Maps just before we set off. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's like along here. And then we go right and then we carry on for a little bit. And then we, then we hit the hills. But literally, as soon as you go through the town, through Ambleside, you get to this little like roundabout where it's all quite like narrow, congested and everything else. And you, you hook a right. And suddenly, bang, you're like, you're on it straight away. Um, and I know me and Carl, we, we started going, we thought, it, this can't be it already, can it? And it does take you by surprise. So I can kind of appreciate some people, and especially at that point, because it's right in the tail end of the ride, because after that climb, so that climb's like just over three miles in total. Um, and then obviously you've then got the descent, which then takes you down into... Um, 
Glen Riddick. So it's kind of almost like right at the end of the ride anyway. So I can imagine that's what catches a lot of people out. And obviously a lot of people probably could push it up there faster than they can ride it anyway. So, <laughs> so how, were you, how were you feeling at that point into the ride then? When you hit the struggle, Ed, were you mentally still focusing on being cold or were you, you'd warmed up and you were like, this is a cracking challenge and like reveling in it. What was, what was going through your head at that? Well, I I think um, the biggest impact on the bike uh, was the weather Um, that the heavens opened um, and there was sideways rain for a good chunk of it. And I was absolutely freezing. So you you should have had a decent gilet like uh, Josh had. Yeah, I know. That, yeah, would have made all the difference. Would have made all the. I was cursing a bit on the way round, thinking, you know, what an idiot for not grabbing my coat. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, everyone was in the same boat. It made it more of a challenge. But there were some bits on the uh, the bike where you're on some really busy roads, um, and we're you know cycling along on the kind of the little hard shoulder bit. Um, and it, the spray, you can barely see what's going on. Um, it was it was quite hard work. And I just wanted to get off that main road and get into the, the, the lanes. Um, so, you know, just away from all the traffic. Um, and it made it, it made it quite difficult, actually, not not drafting. Or, or, you know, people were clumping up a bit, but you couldn't overtake. Yeah. Um, so it was, it made it, it made it quite a tough, a tough bike, even though it's relatively short. Um, it was, it was quite tough. And I was quite, relieved to actually get to the struggle and think right there's no cars this is one bit of a, the course which is closed roads um and uh, it was it was actually a little bit of a relief to get there and just get stuck in so josh mentioned the descent after the struggle then what was that like was that sketchy because of the weather or was it quite a nice like ride back down to the finish it, it was. I think it would have actually been a really nice descent uh, if it wasn't for, for for the weather. And I think there are quite a few nervous bike riders around. Um, and I got a bit caught up behind someone who was going down there quite nervously, and it's quite a difficult one to overtake on. Right. Um, so yeah. it made it it made it slightly more tricky than perhaps it it could have been. I was told it was a real technical descent, but actually it wasn't too bad, and that the, the road surface was was generally pretty okay. Um, so I, I'm sure I could have gained a few minutes if I hadn't got a bit caught up behind uh, one or two people on that. So straight into T2, um, change or literally just whack on some running shoes and get out there? Yeah, it was just, it was just whacking on some running shoes. Um, although, um, did you go trails the, or, or roads? Yeah, no, it's definitely, definitely trail shoes. I've done a bit of, um, I've, I've done a bit of mountain walking and climbing. So I was, I was, I knew kind of what to expect with the, uh, the run in inverted commas. We'd also been told, um, it was a requirement. You have a, you have a rucksack, uh, where you have, um, safety equipment, you have a compass, you have a map, you have, um, safety blanket, you have full body cover, um, <laughs> a flare. Uh, you, no, you have to have a whistle. I, I spent, I spent literally Friday night running around trying to find a bloody whistle um <laughs> thinking that if they checked it and it's not in there i might get disqualified so you know all these so these are requirements so i had to get my rucksack i had to get my nutrition and all that kind of stuff and and, and water in the rucksack actually there's no aid stations at all on the whole whole event there were no aid stations um so you have to you have to carry all your own water you have to carry all your own you know supplements um so talking about getting bags checked me and carl um we've mentioned quite a lot on this podcast um did a thing called the fan dance a few years ago and you have to carry a certain weight in a loaded rucksack and within a rucksack you had to carry a a sleeping bag because we were doing it on penny fan 
And um, the only um, sleeping bag I could fit in my bag was my daughter's pink one. Uh, and as they were weighing the bags, they actually pulled out my, uh, my sleeping bag and was like, is this sufficient? And it was like, well, it's the only thing I've got, so it's going to go in there. So yeah, they, uh, you got to make sure you've got all your kit in there. Um, so yeah, so it's a bit of faffing around with that. Um, I also decided to wear the, the, the cycling jacket I'd, I'd discarded for, for, the, for the bike because uh, it was still raining quite heavily. I just thought I'm going to get cold and exposed up there. Uh, so I stuck that on as well. Uh, but yeah, then it was just kind of heading out and I still had numb feet. My, I couldn't feel my feet at all. So, um, so what was the, um, the, the run leg? What sort of distances were they? Was it a half marathon or just under? Um, it was nine miles. Nine miles. Um, yeah. Yeah. So 14 and a half K. Um, and the ascent uh, on that? The ascent on that was just over 3,000 feet. Cool. Um, Helvellyn, which you run up or walk up or whatever, um, is I think the second or third highest mountain in the Lake District. Um, right. uh, yeah, it's it was, it was quite a technical climb as well. There's one mile um, of that where I went up 1400 feet, say so 1400 feet in one mile. So you can imagine the ascent on that. It's yeah. quite technical, but you know, the path go, kind of goes in and out. Uh, the weather the, was um, all over the, the place. The clips I've seen on YouTube, because there's quite a few, because of the PTO being there, there's quite a few um, YouTube clips going around. It looked a bit like, um, for the guys that have ever climbed Penny Fan, going up via Jacob's Ladder, where it's, it's quite steep and you've got to kind of pull yourself over the rocks. Or if anybody's done Crib Gok in Snowdon, uh, certain aspects of that, where you've really got a, like basically hands and knees up, up, up the side to get to the top. It yeah, it's really it, technical. The, the part of um, the run which was technical was Swirrel Edge, um, which is um, like it's like Striding Edge. Um, it's a shorter, sharper, um, and you got it's, it's like a knife edge ridge basically. So you got exposure on both sides, uh, and you're having to uh, when you're knackered, um, you know, place your feet in your hands in the right places and avoid kind of dropping a few hundred feet. Yeah. Um, so it made it made it quite interesting. I think some people were a little bit surprised about that. Um, and certainly some people I spoke to before the event um, said there's no way you can run up there. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's true. <laughs> I can imagine one or two people might have tried it. Yeah. And temperature wise, it was so say freezing wasn't it, at, the, at the top. Yeah, well, I, I you know I heard that when I got down to the, the bottom after afterwards, saying it was close to freezing up there. It might have been, I don't know. I think I think everyone was so focused on just getting through it, you don't really think about how cold or warm you are. And in fact, the, the, the coat I grabbed in transition, uh, I put in my rucksack within the first probably five minutes of the walk because I heated up so quickly. Right. Um, so I didn't didn't need to use my coat at all in the end. So once you got got to the top, what was the descent like then again? Was it proper fell running? Yeah, oh, it was mental. Hard on the knees and the quads oh god yeah i mean this is this is where i did the damage um so up to that point you know i'd, I'd kind of coped okay i was feeling pretty good um i'd energy i'd you know, my, my nutrition had all worked out mixture of gels and bars and, and stuff like that and uh you know electrolytes in my water and all that kind of stuff so if it, everything was working really well and i cracked on over descent um and i was behind a girl um who obviously was a bit of a fell runner i thought i'd try and keep up with her and um yeah it didn't quite work out i turned both ankles probably within the first half a mile just flying down these descents um and the second time i turned my left ankle it was i thought oh you know i've I've, I've damaged it yeah Um, i had to sit down for a couple of minutes just to get myself together and give it a bit of a bit of a rub um but yeah after that i was kind of hobbling down these descents trying to trying to get some speed up but 
both my ankles were weakened at that point. So it was, uh, it was quite a tough, that was probably the toughest part of the whole day, uh, doing that bit, the descent down, particularly on, you know, it's uneven rocks. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just flying down. So it's hard work. Um, how many competitors, age groupers do you think were in the field then? Was it, was it quite congested in certain parts? I know when you do like, like mountain runs and stuff the bits that you do need to scrub like you do get bottlenecks up here of athletes and stuff was it quite all spread out on on the on the mountain yeah it was pretty well spread out um i overtook a few people uh on the way up um there was a it slowed down a little bit going up swivel edge i just got caught up behind a couple of people but to be honest that was probably no bad thing because it meant you know you you, you took care um and you know you don't, you don't need to fly up that bit anyway um, but yeah, other than that, there was no real congestion. There just, I mean, it, it, I think the only congestion I had was on the bike where we just got caught up behind vehicles and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, there's a little bit of bunching occasionally, but you know, it's, it's pretty minor and the opportunity to draft in that race was, was so limited. So it wasn't a major problem. So run finishes, get to the bottom. Is it a nice flat road into the finish, finishing shoot or did they, uh, give you a bit of a feel to run across? How did it all come to a close? Well, I, I don't, the, um, the, the ascent going up Helvedin was, was mainly walking because you just can't, well, some people could, but it's very difficult to run up there. So it's quite a relief when you get to some flat bits or, or downhill bits to run again. Yeah. Um, but when I got to the bottom of Helvedin, it turns into more of a tarmac road or path, uh, still going downhill. And it is a nice relief other than the fact my ankle was, was giving me a bit of jip. Um, but yeah, it just gradually kind of softens as you, as you get back to, towards the, uh, the finish. And it was pretty much, you know, bottom of a slope and quarter of a mile when you're through the, the finish line. There wasn't a run around a field or anything like that. It was just pretty much straight up a, a muddy path to the finish line and, and job done. So overall experience as a, an age grouper, enjoyed it. Would you go back again? Um, yeah, no, I, I did love it. It was probably a bit more extreme because of the weather than I anticipated. Um, I, I don't know if I'd do it again. Um, I feel like I've done it. I feel like there are other races out there I could do in, in, instead of that one, but I'm, I'm dead chuffed I've done it. It's probably one of those races that probably everyone should give a crack at. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, is the scenery, if we could have seen it during the race, would have been fantastic. Um, and it's just, it's not your normal triathlon. You know, it's very difficult to train for that. Um, you know, doing massive hills, running up mountains, you know, swimming in a cold lake. Um, it's, it's, it's hard work. Um, but Looking it's, at it's the, the probe field that actually took part, the, the, the extremeness of it actually leveled the, 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 playing, the, the playing field out quite considerably. The guys that you thought would be up in the top three, like the Joe Skippers of this world, really struggled with that cross-country aspect of it. So it's yeah. definitely a, definitely a different uh, like turn on the um, triathlon race sort of thing. Yeah, well, I'm finding that now. I want to do triathlons, which are interesting. You know, doing doing a, a kind of a normal swim, a flat bike, and a, a flat run doesn't appeal to me so much these days because probably my speed isn't as good as it was. Um, Being over fifty and all. <laughs> well, I mean, f- thankfully, f- thankfully, Paul, I'm not over fifty, and I've still got I've still got a few years to go till I am fifty. Um, but I mean, I, I think that's the other thing. You know, time is not on my side. I want to, you know, after the year we've had, when I had three or four events all lined up and they all cancelled. Um, it's quite nice to at least get something in yeah, yeah uh, definitely. And, and and actually to get into a, a kind of bucket list type race this year was was perfect for me 
uh, I only entered like two, two or three weeks before the actual event. Um, so I was lucky to get in. Um, but I, you know, I, I guess because of the nature of the event, it's not, you know, it hasn't got a massive queue of people looking to, to get into it. But yeah. I think with the publicity after, after this event, you know, perhaps it might be a bit more popular next year and years to come. Oh, wicked. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, Josh's internet's dropped yeah. out. That's why he's disappeared. So it's just me and you currently. So I just say massive thank you, say for coming on. Really appreciate it. What, anything planned? I know as we t- currently talk, COVID restrictions look like they're going to come in again. What's your plans for next year? Are you going to go big again? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we've got, um, you included a few of us doing the outlaw uh, full uh, in July next year, which, um, you know, um, I've done before. So I've got, a, I've got a time in mind that I'd like to be for that. Um, and yeah, a, a couple of other events leading up to that, some, some smaller kind of half distance triathlons and maybe the end of the summer try and squeeze in another long distance one. Um, oh, you know, the family are supporting me hundred percent with all that. So we'll see what happens. Oh, fair yeah. show. Josh is back. Anything to add, Josh, before we say goodbye to Ed? Yeah, no, obviously, thanks so much for your time, Ed. Thanks for coming on the pod. I think great effort on the weekend. It's fantastic to see you and obviously Ali and the kids and stuff in full support. Obviously, great effort on the day as well. I know that is a tough, tough course. Um, obviously, I only done a small part of the bike leg and me and Carl were both saying that, you know, in these conditions with the weather, the rain and temperature and everything else that you know it's going to be a tough day at the office for you and i think you absolutely smashed it mate so massive kudos to you for that yeah no yeah no thanks for thanks for coming up to support and um you know hopefully i'll uh, see you again to get my coat back at some point <laughs> i but, wouldn't go uh, i wouldn't guarantee it again, eh? yeah yeah <laughs> maybe wait for the summer months of next year and then obviously <laughs> we need it and then you can obviously then have it <laughs> no we'll get, we'll get that sorted at some point yeah for sure Wicked. Cheers, Ed. Thank you very much. Have a good day, mate. Look after those ankles. Yeah, take it easy. Cheers, Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Hello, Ed. Bye. That was a cracking interview, wasn't it? Nice to get one of our mates on the podcast. Yeah, I've got a lot of time for Ed. I think he's he's a great guy. He's very knowledgeable. He's into his riding. You know, he loves a hill. He definitely loves a hill. I know, right? I know. Um, And yeah, I think, you know, he's putting a cracking effort on the weekend. Like, take take nothing away from him you know i think those conditions um you know they were oh, me, you know me and carl said it you know we got we got soaked and we got wet and we're thinking God, be, and, and do you know what we were really interested to see actually is what the you know obviously ed and then the professionals what they wore like on the bike course because the lake swim was so cold and the weather was so bad you know it's overcast i don't didn't rain much on the day but you know it was it was chilly it, it was cold um and yeah it was, it was interesting to see what the professionals wore whether you know they they put any gloves on or put an over jacket on or anything else and none of them actually did you know they, they went out in their, their choice you know they've come out of the swim whipped the wetsuit off jumped on the bike and off they went um I, I thought that was really interesting along with the whole did they go for a tt bike or did they go for a road bike but um yeah, no, I thought, I thought that was a very interesting concept. Oh, fair play. Well, that's uh, Helvellyn covered then. One thing I did also want to cover with you, um, I don't know if you saw in the news uh, over the weekend about Mo Farah, or I should say Sir Mo Farah, and his uh, record-breaking one-hour uh, attempt on the track in Brussels. Did you see that in the news? Yeah, I did see that, yeah. I think what I found fascinating about that, I don't know if, you, if you've seen, but he actually... 
so he beat the record so you know amazing achievement but um he beat it by like 45 meters it's crazy isn't it one hour on the track i think well statistically yeah. i think he did 21,330 meters which was 45 meters further than gabriel um selassie uh previous record yeah it's crazy can you imagine running I, I in a circle for an hour <laughs> Oh God, I know. Right, enough. Yeah, I think that equates to like thirteen point two miles. Yeah, just like over, that, just over half. Yeah, just over half but, marathon but on what? a track. I, I know you've you've touched on points before where you said about you know marginal gains and you know those those little bits that you know do you think certain things make a difference. I always just find it so fascinating that, like you know, even for example, like ride London. So, you know, the, those people, those cyclists, they're, they're cycling 100 miles. And we're talking about the, the professionals here. But it always just, like, blows my mind that, you know, they're, they're cycling for 100 miles on a route. And it would just come down to that last final little stretch. And then you, you'll literally get people, like, you know, like, you know, so tight. And it almost comes down to a, um, like, a photo finish to see who wins. And I just think you know, that's a hundred miles they've covered and it's come down to that final, final bit. And, and going back to the whole Mo Farah thing, it's like he's been running for an hour solid. He's covered like 13.2 miles. Um, and, and, you know, it's come down to 45 metres. Like, it, it's just incredible. It just, it just, yeah, it really blows my mind. I think the mental strength, as I say, to because at one stage I think they worked out it was like ten meters behind the, the record attempt or, uh, or something like that. But to have the mental strength to run round in a circle for an hour, it's crazy, absolutely crazy. And, and say hats off to the guy. I know there's a bit of um, a mixed opinion on Mo and his um, his previous coaching uh, uh, with the, the guy at Nike and all that sort of stuff, but the credit that you got to give that man a load of credit for that because that is unreal really really good yeah you, you, i mean listen you can't you can't take anything away from him um i think yeah you know you, you touch on there as coach and people have opinions and stuff but ultimately like it's this professional sport and just unfortunately we live in that world nowadays where someone who sure well actually they must be cheating or it must be this it must be that it's like actually let's just you know let's just stand back and, um, you know, just take note and say like, well done. Cause that, that's a fantastic achievement. And I think, you know, you, you can pick, you know, if you've got enough time on your hands, you can pick holes and things, but you know, listen, like it's a great achievement. Same with Kipchoge. Uh, I think, you know, one of, one of the, the sad things about, you know, him doing that sub two hours, um, his, his actual achievement was almost tarnished by the fact that he wore those shoes. Like there, yeah, there was just yeah, yeah. so much about the shoes and it's like, let's not take anything away from this, Blake. He's, he's been running like 180, 200 miles a week for however many like months in the build-up to, you know, get himself in a position where he can challenge, challenge that and challenge, you know, humanity in the sense of, you know, like I think he uses the catchphrase, doesn't he? Like, um, what is it? Like no human is limited or something along those lines yeah something along those lines i can't think what it is off the top of my head that's a really good yeah, point not... to go on to about chico chikogi whatever his name is. i can't pronounce his name apologize uh, apologies to everyone who i've uh, offended with my pronunciation there i it was my <laughs> i was buying some shoes this week it's my turn to get some decent new kicks for running i've started my training for the uh, long run home so i went out and bought myself a new pair of trainers uh, i'm an asics guy and i've been wearing asics now for i don't know the last 20 years 
Um, and I know quite a few pros out there are still sponsored by ASICs, and especially in the triathlon world with like Jan Fadino and Pete Jacobs and Helen Jenkins and people like that. With these new Nikes, Nike have now brought out another new shoe, the Zoom X Vaporfly, 4%, supposed to give you a 4% better performance. If you were one of those pros, would you be going to A6, right, show me the, date, the, the data that you can compete with this or I'm off? Because I say, that's a massive gain, isn't it, 4% in, in, uh, in, your, in the race? Yeah, I, I don't know whether or not, so I haven't looked into it actually. So are they saying with the whole Nike thing, and that's 4% on top of like what you would normally do a run in? So, yeah. so let's just say I was going to run a 10K and I run a 10K in, let's say, 40 minutes. Don't make me do maths on the podcast, you... mind. Well, I would just, I'm just thinking, that, are they then saying that that will give you 40, like that will better your time by 4%? Basically, I believe so, yeah. Because yeah, it'd be interesting because none of these other shoes, though, say to you what sort of benefit they would give you in terms of time, do they? So no. what's not to say that actually if you wore a hoka trainer as an example does that give you like two and a half percent and then if you wore a nike it would give you so say four percent so the difference is only actually 1.5 percent or are they on nike claiming that this is going to be four percent better you, than you, the other you shoes going with yeah, yeah 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 definitely yeah, but, are they saying it's four percent better than an a6 or are they saying it's just giving you a four percent better uh, uh, thing in your performance. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. Do you know what? Actually, it'd be great. Actually, if if someone listening to the pod would actually, you know, if they know the answer to that, they could they could email in or get get in contact with us because I haven't actually done enough research into it to to find that out. Um, but it would be really interesting to um, obviously find out the answer to that. Because have you got a shoe brand that you stick to, or have you uh, do you mix and match? So I'm, I'm, well, I, I originally, so I used to love the Brooks. I used to wear a trainer called um, the ST Racer. Fantastic light trainer, but really durable, good for long runs. Um, and they actually stopped making it. And for me now, Brooks have gone a, almost a little bit, I don't know, they almost feel a bit clunky. Maybe it's where they've gone for more of a supportive, you know, kind of approach to things. But yeah, I, I then veered away from that. And then I... I um I got a pair of Hoka's, so I think that was like you know that was the most worn trainer in Kona in 2019, I think it was. Yeah, so Jan um, Fadino's left Asics, and the, the the talk was he was going to go to Nike because of this, uh, so say four percent better performance. But he's actually signed with Hoka. Uh, he's gone down the Hoka route now. Yeah, I think Hoka they're a great trainer, and you know obviously Jan Fadino is a fantastic athlete. I think he's, you know, real down-to-earth guy. I think he's been with ASICs for like 20 years. Yeah, long time, long time. Yeah, so obviously there's, 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 something, there's something in that, I would imagine, for him to want to, well, you, you say that, but you don't know, do you, personal relationships, something might have gone on behind the scenes where he's gone, yeah, do you know what, it's time for a change. Or it might just be that, you know, Hoka have gone to, approached him maybe and gone, look, just give these a try behind closed doors, see what you think, and, you know, you might have tried it, tried them out, and you know, got on really well with them, and thought, you know what? Like, I've been with Basics for so long now. I, you know, really like this trainer, and it's just, Did it's just say- unfortunate. Like, I think when you're a professional like him, you're, you're tied in. Like, you, you know, you if you're going with Hoka, like you have to wear their trainer, same with yeah. Basics, and that's how it works. And 
you know, I think there's horses for courses. So to answer your question, although I've got Hoka's, I've also got like um, Nikes. I've got the Vaporfly, I've got the Flyknits, and um, I've got Solomon for like off-road running and things like that. So obviously not being a pro and not being a sponsored athlete, I've got that ability to go, actually, do you know what? I like to use a Solomon for off-road running. However, I like the Hoka for longer distance runs. And oh, actually, I like the Nike for the short, sharp stuff. Whereas, obviously, if you're tied into one brand, you've got to use the, those trainers for everything. I suppose as well with the 4% stuff, if you're not comfortable wearing that shoe because it's designed for a, a narrower foot and you've got quite a, a, a wide foot or uh, and all that sort of stuff, if, you, if you're not comfortable, you're not going to get the performance that they advertise anyway. Exactly that, exactly that. And you, you speak to a lot of people when they're, they swear by a certain trainer and they say, oh, do you know what? I've got quite wide feet. So this, this trainer is fantastic for me. Oh, I did try the Nikes. I really like them. I like the look of them. I like this, I like that. But, you know, they're a bit narrow for my feet or whatever. So I think you've got to find your own find your own place with it, you know. Um, yeah, I could sit here all day and, you know, you could swear blind by A6. I could swear blind by Hoka. Someone else, you know, Kipchoge might swear blind by Nike. And, yeah, you know it's what it is it's it's personal preference in my opinion there's so many great trainers out there nowadays so much science in the world of sport that i don't think there's really such a thing as a bad trainer necessarily it just all depends on like your gait analysis and what it is you're looking for within a trainer i think wicked right okay so any more news quite happy with that i think we should move on to uh, a bit of a uh, a coaching tip or coaching advice do you want to take that this week yeah, I can do. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think during these tough times, my advice would be just don't be hard on yourself. I think this week especially, I've, I've found training quite tough. The events being cancelled and, you know, I feel that I'm going out and there's no real necessarily purpose to my training um, as such. You know, I've got the virtual London Marathon coming up and I'm trying to obviously just get a bit of running under my belt ahead of that. Obviously, I haven't been able to run for quite a while because of the injury and stuff to my leg. Um, however, yeah, I think I'm quite hard on myself anyway, and I think give myself probably enough credit where it's due. But I think, you know, just just stick with it. And what I would say, the biggest thing I've probably done is I've, um, I've branched out to a few different friends and, you know, booked in runs with them. Um, yeah. And then that almost kicks you into gear to, you know, then actually do the run that you said you're going to do. And you know me, Paul, it's not it's not like me to almost lack a bit of motivation to a degree. But I think at the minute, like my hunger for training has almost disappeared because I'm not working towards a goal. So I need to I need to find something and find a way to sort of like reignite that fire within me. And I think. I was, I was speaking to Carl about this on the weekend. I think I think the London, the virtual London marathon will be the thing that will do that for me. And what I mean by that is I feel that I'm gonna probably for like the first time ever, I'm gonna almost rock up and do an event where I'm not fully fit and I'm not gonna get my best ever time or anywhere near it. And I think what will happen on the day is I think I will see other people's times that I know that I'm um, you know, when I'm when I'm match fit, so to speak, that I'm far better than, and I can obviously put in a much better time and effort. 
And I think that will really kickstart me and really like reignite that hunger. I think the, the doing the event itself, I think, you know, probably going to be in the hurt locker for a bit of it because I haven't even ran double figures this year um, yet. Um, and then I'm going to go and try to run 26 miles. And yeah, I think, I think all of that combined will give me that boost and give me that kickstart um, into obviously putting them a structured training plan together and getting back um, back to my best. Well, look, good points you brought up there. Definitely arranging runs with other people um, is always a good way to get out of the door. And that was one of the things that we did with Active Soul UK with our track nights. It's really hard sometimes to put yourself in a bit of a hurt locker and do a speed session by yourself because it's so easy just to, to take your foot off the gas during one of the intervals and all that sort of stuff. But if you arrange to do it in a group, let's say with like-minded people, all trying to achieve this, this trying to achieve the same thing it definitely gets you out the door the definite days that i've booked to to go for a run and then it started raining and if i hadn't arranged to see people i just literally sit in front of the telly with a coffee and not do it and i say it's it's definitely a good thing to to get out there and and run with other people yeah and I, i think you know bolting on to that as well like don't be afraid to approach new people or people that you wouldn't necessarily always go out for a run with um because I, I think you know like I, I've, I've done that so you know you, you'll know him mark so mark watts or mr from, watts the hairiest man yeah. in a running vest <laughs> i see him yeah so you know I, don't get me wrong i get on with mark really well um when he's at active soul track nights and if we were to go to the pub afterwards and you know i'd socialize say hello but in terms of actual any any real training with him i'd I've never done apart from when we're on the same track together um, on a, on a track night at active soul. Um, but yeah, I know that he's very, very good and very, very consistent with his training. Um, he's sticking to a plan cause he's, he's got a sub three hour goal in mind. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I branched where well, I'm going with this is I, I branched out to him. That's not normally something that I'd necessarily do, but I knew if I then had that commitment, i.e. I arranged with him to go for a run even if I, on the day, for whatever reason, didn't feel like going for a run, I wouldn't want to let him down or anyone down. So that would force me to, to get out there. And actually, yeah, when definitely. I'd done that, I, I went out and we had a fantastic time. We had a really good chat about, you know, multiple different things, running, his training plan. Um, he's got a coach who's based over in Ireland. So that was quite interesting with how things worked with him and, you know, his, his plan for sort of like 2021 now and and going forward and stuff and you know what like before you know it we racked up I think six or seven miles and and yeah we had a great chat a great social and I just felt so much better for it afterwards you know and I think the great the great thing about that is that obviously when Mark then does his you know harder efforts and things like that I can do those with him and help him along with those and then when he's doing a little sort of like you know, recovery run and things like that. I can I can tag along with him because obviously I'm not doing any real speed work at the moment to let my leg integrate back into running. So, yeah, I think you know you can use other people, banks off other people. Don't be afraid sometimes to admit if you you know you're struggling or you're going through a bit of a lull like that. That's perfectly fine. That happens to everybody. Like I said, it's happened to me over the last few days, and you know I even find myself like digging through old like race results and just trying to look for that bit of inspiration to like really get me going again, you know, but 
I think at the same time, I think, you know, we had Brett on last week, um, you know, fantastic interview with him. And I think he touched on a real good point where he, he talked about having like an off year or an off season where yeah. he didn't really do anything at all. Um, and I think, I think you need that sometimes, like that rest, like to rejuvenate, regroup and, and get yourself back into a place where ultimately you're, you're enjoying going out for runs and enjoying doing events because we're not, we're not paid athletes. Like, you know, we do have to do it nine times out of 10, actually we're paying to do an event. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's important that you enjoy it. And when we talk about enjoyment and fun, okay. Like when you're going through the event on the day, it might not necessarily be enjoyable or fun because you're in the hurt locker because you're, you're crunching out, hopefully what is a PB or a really good effort, but actually that fulfillment that you get maybe after the race is, you know, why we do what we do. And I think it's just important not to, to lose focus of that fact. Or, you know, if you're going through a period where you're feeling a bit down or, you know, the scales aren't being necessarily kind to you or whatever else that, you know, that that's not going to be the case forever. Yeah. So just, just stick with it and just, make changes and look for other avenues to re-engage and you know bring yourself back back to life and enjoying your running again or training. i think that, that was a good point because ed mentioned that in his um little interview we just did about the helvellin um going out in there and doing different types of races as well don't just tie yourself down to the the, the road 10k and or get stuck in a rut but use this opportunity where there has been a bit of a lull in racing to have a look to see what else is out there see what else might light the fire in the belly to to find that that buzz again and see there's lots of different races out there i don't know if you've um had chance to, or you've got amazon prime tv um there's the eco um a race on there and uh, it's basically a, a race across fiji and bear grills does the um uh, host the program and it's like, it's got, I think it's called the Eco Challenge. If you've got Amazon Prime and seek it out, it's really good. And basically it incorporates everything from running, mountain biking, paddle boarding, rock climbing. Uh, and what a challenge. And if there's anybody out there who's looking for something to do, any, any adventure race like that, or you've got the extreme triathlons, Xterra and all that sort of stuff, give them a go and say, don't tie yourself to, to, to one, one type of road race or whatever it might be. Uh, one other thing I would also say as well, you chatting about the virtual London marathon, um, for the guys that have signed up to it, please just go really careful, um, running too far, too quick, too soon. Uh, you can gain, uh, Achilles problems and shin splints and all that sort of stuff. So, um, I'm well up and well impressed with the people that have signed up for it, but please make sure you've got a decent training plan for the period of time going into it. Cause say you don't want to just injure yourself uh trying to go for this virtual for this virtual marathon yeah it's a very good point there paul yeah definitely and i think don't be afraid to do something that okay it might not be ideal but you know it's gonna it's gonna give you that safety blanket so again me and carl mention him a lot i think we're gonna have to get him on the pod at some point because everyone yeah i think he's gonna come on and chat about kids triathlon he's a he does he runs a little triathlon club for kids doesn't he so i'm gonna try and get him on to talk about coaching for kids where I was going with that is we, we had a conversation and we, we were saying, um, you know, I think, I think we, me and him, as an example, we're going to do um, a lap approach. So we're going to try to do like three or four laps the same route. And that way we can almost like set up a little base camp, set up a little like aid station and we're going to do it. So we're never ever going to be too far from 
that station. So, you know, obviously me coming back from injury and stuff, I haven't run double figures this year at all um, in any sort of run. Um, I've only done probably, I think I'm touching maybe 30 or 35 runs this, this year. So again, like, you know, that's in the grand scheme of things, that's, that's not a lot at all. Um, so for me, you know, absolutely, I think it's, it's important that I'm not, I'm not going to push it. I'm not going to overdo it. If on the day, for whatever reason, um, you know, my leg starts playing up or whatever else, then I, I will be I will be stopping it there. And obviously, luckily enough, with the virtual marathon, let's not forget, you have got 24 hours to complete it as well. Yeah. So don't be afraid or don't be shy. Yeah, absolutely. I think they, they've done that for a reason. And I think that reason is because um, obviously people haven't probably trained to their full capacity, like Ed touched on in his interview there. Um, Helvellyn or Troy Hard events have obviously, you know, they've, they've bared that in mind where they've talked about the swim. So they've done, they've done laps instead of like a whole massive one one mile loop and stuff and that's and that's for safety reasons you know so yeah like let's make sure that we put our safety and our well-being at the forefront of our mind come the virtual london marathon on the 4th of october wicked right have you got anything else to add this week mate i don't think so no it's been good to catch up um obviously matter shout out again to brett thanks for coming on I, i dropped him a message obviously i couldn't couldn't make it unfortunately um last week and for the interview but yeah i think we've exchanged a few messages like previously anyway you know sort of like mid mid lockdown and we're gonna go and give him a a chase on the bike yeah yeah definitely yeah i think you know he's been spending a bit of time down south um with his girlfriend and stuff um during lockdown and things like that so um obviously i messaged him to say thank you again for coming on the podcast and then um, yeah, you know, he messaged back and said, yeah, I'm away again at the minute, but when I'm back, we'll definitely get together, go out for a little ride. So, yeah, really looking forward to that. And obviously, thanks again to Ed for coming on today. It's great to get an insight from an age group athlete who's done one of probably the hardest events that will certainly be on this year and what is dubbed as one of the hardest events in the world. And having spoken to some of the pros afterwards and Joe Skipper's response, um, <laughs> to the uh, up and down Helvellyn on the run, yeah, um, it was it was definitely a tough course. So, I'm yeah, so jealous. You got to meet Ali Brownlee and Joe Skipper and stuff. I'm so so jealous of that. That's a, that's a top weekend for you. Right then, mate. Well, I think we'll come to uh, bring the podcast to a close. Um, people want to get in contact with us as always. We mention it every week. What's your Insta? Remind me. Yeah, so my Insta is jmski123. And you're on Facebook as well, aren't you? Yeah, as Joshua Strauski. And yeah, let's not forget, get in touch with us about the whole Nike, the 4% piece. Is that 4% off of your time? Um, and does that take into consideration any trainers that you might be using at the moment? Or, um, yeah. Yeah, let's get in not. contact. Um, our direct email for the podcast, and we've had a couple of emails come through already, is activesoulspodcast at gmail.com. And I'll put all those details in the show notes below as well. Uh, my Insta is active underscore soul underscore UK. Uh, say, just drop us a message. If you're listening to this on iTunes, if you can give us a rating, that would be good. Some of the other running and um, triathlon podcasts, their ratings, they've only had like 200 reviews or stuff. Now, um, we've been very, very fortunate that quite a few people have um, tuned into the podcast already. Um, if you are listening on iTunes, if you give us a bit of a 
bit of a cheeky five-star um, rating on there and write a little bit of a review. That would help other people find us in the future as well. Uh, but that's kind of it for this week. Thanks very much, Say Thanks, Fred, for joining us uh, with his recount of the um, Helvellyn Triathlon. Happy with that then, Josh? All good to go? Yeah, thanks so much, Paul. Pleasure as always. Good to catch up. And yeah, I'll speak to you soon. Wicked. Cheers, then, mate. Have a good one. Cheers, mate. Bye.